0: If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today.
1: A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more to help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online so any small business can make a change. We need a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. Start different at GoDaddy.com.
0: This is an ode to the glass noodle. You may be glass only in name, but our love for you is crystal clear in every Bibigo Korean dumpling. Your tantalizing texture tickles the taste buds, and while you are see-through, the world can't help but see you. The glass noodle, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every plump and juicy Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. I've got Joe Sullivan in for a discussion about creating a content platform. Joe is an industrial marketing consultant with 10 plus years experience, and he's co-founder of the St. Louis-based industrial marketing agency, Gorilla 76. Joe, welcome. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's good to have you here. First of all, what is an industrial marketing agency? It's a good question
1: to start with. So we're basically a, a marketing agency that has found our niche serving mid-sized B2B manufacturers. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we work with companies who are, you know, kind of 10 to 100 million in sales a year or so is is probably average. And tend to sell complex solutions through long sales cycles to committees of buyers and so we've really carved a niche for ourselves in that space and have sort of branded ourselves that way as the industrial marketing agency
0: specialization in marketing i think is important you can't just be a general marketing agency can you i think it makes sense to specialize and you have
1: yeah i think so i you know you see arguments both ways i think sometimes early on as an agency you know it makes a little more sense to explore working with different types of companies and figuring out what you're good at and, you know, both in terms of working with different verticals and in different horizontals. But as it played out for us and probably a lot of other agencies, you kind of learn in time where you create the most value and who you can get results for and who also who you enjoy working with. And for us that, you know, it's sort of some of it happened unintentionally at first and then there were conscious decisions made that were made along the way as we kind of figured that out.
0: Yeah, yeah. Where's the name come from? It sounds like the name of a disaster movie from the 1970s. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's what it is in fact. Now, um it's yeah, I, I wish I always wish I had a better story for it, but the name Gorilla 76, the 76 is 7th month of 06, which is when we founded the agency and Gorilla spelled like the animal really is kind of a nod to the other spelling of gorilla. Yeah. Like is in gorilla marketing, which you know when we we started the the real answer is we were a couple of 24-year-old guys who didn't know what we were doing and back in 2006 and that's the name we landed on but (laughs) so there's the backstory
0: i always like when you know a company has an interesting name like that i always like knowing the backstory sometimes it's just very simple like you know what you say sometimes there's a huge backstory that you know i fall asleep during but it's interesting to hear hear how that came about
1: yeah we liked it better than calling ourselves sullivan franco marketing (laughs) stand out so (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's great. It sounds like Hamilton, Joe Frank and Reynolds, the trio from the early 70s. There you go. But. <laughs> anyway, let's talk content and specifically creating a content platform. I've spent a lot of my career doing this kind of stuff, and I want to get your perspective on it. How should you start out?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it all starts with tapping into what your customers care about the most. Just for a little context here, like we work, as I said in the, in the intro here, with companies that tend to sell bigger ticket items, packaging machinery that may have five hundred thousand dollars to a million dollars for a piece of equipment, or industrial ovens and CNC machining equipment, big ticket stuff, complex stuff, often very customized in nature. Buying process doesn't take days or weeks, but often months or sometimes even years. And so when we think about content, it's you're kind of trying to mimic a very consultative sales process for a lot of companies where you know, the sales team is acting as a guide to the buyer throughout that long sort of complex buyer's journey. And that's where I think marketing tends to fall short with a lot of companies where you know marketers default to talking about themselves and how great they are and why their product's better than the next guy's. And I think marketing needs to sort of mimic what the best salespeople do out there, which is to act as a guide and to harness your expertise and use that to help the buyer, especially early in the buying process.
0: Yeah, so so you kind of get an idea of what it is you want to do. Maybe you want to do a podcast. Maybe you want to do a webinar. Maybe you want to do the old days, maybe go out and do an event. And maybe we will end up doing that again someday. What are the next steps? Do you just publish an episode and wait for something to happen if you start a podcast or you do a webinar or do you break it up into nuggets? What's your advice for the next steps after deciding what you want to do?
1: Yeah, I think you kind of need to pick a lane and say, I guess, look at the skill sets inside your company. Look at what your people are good at doing and say, you know, what's a, a platform we could choose and really own? For Gorilla, we recently launched a podcast called The Manufacturing Executive, where we interview manufacturing leaders and authors of sales and marketing books. And really, it's a show about growth for manufacturers. And so we'll take our podcast, we'll publish an episode weekly, which you know gets distributed to the major podcast platforms, as yours does, Mark. And but then we'll take that. We like to record ours using Zoom. And so we've got a video file that gets uploaded to YouTube. We'll go through and timestamp the best two-minute segments from any given episode there was just really a golden nugget there. And, and then we'll pull that out and we'll use those short videos to make social media videos. We'll distribute through our individual LinkedIn profiles. We'll use those as paid or promoted posts in LinkedIn or maybe Facebook or Instagram or YouTube pre-roll or other places where it makes sense to do that. We might ha- throw the recording of the episode to Rev.com or SpeechPad and have it transcribed. And then we'll you know use the transcription to make captions on those videos. We'll maybe hand the transcription to a writer and writer will turn it into a blog post and now you've got some additional seo value there so i think the idea is whether it's a podcast or it's a webinar series that you can do consistently or it's a series of you know expert panel discussions between the subject matter experts on your team Pick a platform, get really good at doing it, and then use that pillar piece to sort of fuel all the little micro content that you can use throughout your marketing and sales process.
0: We sometimes get bogged down in terminology. What you and I are doing right now, we're going to call a podcast. But if we were sitting in the same room, we had video cameras in front of us, it wouldn't be much different to just put it up on YouTube or to call it a panel discussion or a webinar We do get kind of bogged down in those terms its content right and it's audio or video yeah i think you're right i think it,
1: what's most important is that you're focused on talking about the things that you know the problems that your customers and prospects are struggling with and you're helping address those problems you're answering the most common questions you hear from those people in on sales conversations or in you know in our case with manufacturers engineer to engineer conversations that their people are having with their customers you're trying to get to the core of what matters to your buyer and provide deep, helpful insights that guide them and earn your trust and attention in the process of doing so and position you as the thought leader and as a result, the first person that they're going to call when they're at the place in their buyer's journey where they're ready for that sales conversation.
0: Yeah. And as far as a recording platform, I use Squadcast for recording the podcast. It doesn't record video, but it's double ender. So it records on both ends of the call. And that way, in theory, the audio sounds better. But I am on Zoom calls every day. I'm on Teams calls several times a week. And sometimes I think I should just use one of those platforms to do it so that I can record a video. Done a lot of video in my career. And that kind of does add a level of complexity. How do you get over that hurdle? Or someone in marketing who wants to start something and thinks, boy, well, maybe I could edit the audio or outsource the audio for a few bucks a week. If you're asking me to do video as well, that adds complexity. How do you get over that? Do you just take the video file and just load that to YouTube or do you do some production around it? Yeah, that's a really good
1: question. And it's I'm kind of a perfectionist. Same here, and that's kind of (laughs) why the struggle, right? That's the struggle. Yeah,
0: that's that's kind of why I have held off on video. I would love to do video.
1: Well, I think what you have to accept is that there's different levels of production that will be acceptable under different circumstances. There's a time. Like We have a professional videographer in-house at Gorilla. We're a 20-person company. We just hired our first official videographer, comes with the skill sets and the training and all that. And there's a time for that. We're actually doing, as we speak right now, I have a a crew on site with one of our companies and they are one of our clients and they're shooting. They have... They're doing expert interviews where one of our writers is interviewing engineers and product managers on their team and we're extracting insights and there's a $10,000 camera sitting on them (laughs) recording it all and that'll be edited. There'll be post-production work and that's, it's going to be really, it's going to be beautiful work and there's going to be B-roll machines in in action and there's that application. But I think just as easily, you know, what you and I are doing right now, if we did have the cameras on, as long as you've got decent audio quality, which I think is the most important thing for content, if the video's good enough a lot of times that's fine. I had yesterday, um, or a couple of days ago, I had my two senior strategists ran a webinar about pitfalls of running paper click campaigns. And they were in their respective dining rooms at their houses, <laughs> given or, yeah. you know, given what everybody's dealing with in, in 2020. And we had that whole recording up on YouTube three hours after the thing ended, and it's already getting views. And so you just look at it and say, hey, is, is the content good? And if the answer is yes, get it out there.
0: I think that is the metric that you need to apply to all this, right? Is it good and worthwhile for the audience to listen to this, to watch it, to engage in it?
1: Yep. And I think there's also something to be said for less produced video in a lot of cases is more human. Yeah. It's human and it's you're talking to real people and real people aren't perfect. It shouldn't be scripted and everything being overproduced. So I think there's a time for each, each type of content.
0: Right. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID 19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID 19 antibodies. Visit vitalent.org today. Okay, so let's talk about social platforms for distribution. For one of your big manufacturers, big industrial concerns, is LinkedIn the right place for that? Instagram doesn't feel right. Facebook doesn't feel right. Twitter, but I don't know the market. But how do you determine which platform is best for what you're doing?
1: You know, it's interesting because sometimes it just depends on the company, what space they're in, whether they're selling big ticket item like I talked about or more of a commodity type of, Standard product. But in general, we're big fans of LinkedIn in manufacturing. I'm very active personally on LinkedIn. And over even over the last year or two, I've seen a shift of industrial sector people, in my case, moving there. And then and, and, you know the industrial sector tends to be lagging. So if, if you're in SaaS, you've probably been there for years. If you're in professional services, probably the same. But We find LinkedIn to be very effective, but you need to, if you're going to try to build visibility and engagement through LinkedIn organically, you need to do it through the profiles of individual human beings on your team. The company pages just fall flat in general. You know, it's LinkedIn even favors the individual profile and their algorithms to the point where, you know, just pushing out a a link to a blog post or something you produced through your company page probably isn't, isn't going to get you very far. But on the page, Media side of LinkedIn, the company pages can be a lot more powerful where you're telling LinkedIn, Hey, show this two minute video or audio clip. You could take a two minute clip from this interview, Mark, and turn it into a little audiogram or a circle of your face and mine and a little sound wave. And you tell LinkedIn, Hey, show this to everybody with this job title from this Mm -hmm. type of company in this geographic region and those people alone. So you can get really targeted. And as a result, that can be very effective. So I'm a fan of LinkedIn, I guess, is the short answer. Other platforms in some cases, but I generally start there.
0: I found the LinkedIn ad platform to be inscrutable. It's really hard to understand and really hard to launch an ad. Granted, I don't do it that often, although I used to do it all the time in previous lives. But what's your review of their interface?
1: Yeah, it takes a little getting used to it for sure. I mean, I, a lot of digital platforms do if you haven't spent a ton of time in them, but but we have a few people here who handle most of that for us. And so it's, I think it's a matter of learning the process, learning the platform. And once you get through that technology hurdle, it's not so bad to manage.
0: How about the other thing with LinkedIn? And that is in-mail spam. Mm -hmm. How do you work around that? Because I know I had a colleague who I lost touch with and thought, oh, I'll send him a message on LinkedIn. And he's in sales. He's like a chief sales officer at a company. And it took him, I don't know, two months to get back to me because he said, I don't look at LinkedIn anymore because it's full of spam. So how do you work around that?
1: Yep. Well, it takes some some tricks, I think. First of all, to get value out of LinkedIn, you need to curate your feed. Yep. And you can tell LinkedIn to, you know, don't don't show me updates from this person anymore. You can choose who you follow. You can seek out topics or hashtags or individual people. You can, you need to, like I said, curate your feed and decide what things you want to see so that the right stuff's in front of you. That's actually relevant to you. And then as far as in-mail goes and the spam side of it, you know, that's always going to be there. You know, I get hit with you met spammy kinds of messages a day or, you know, somebody reaches out to connect with you and you accept the request and then 10 seconds later, you've got, <laughs> you know, a sales pitch coming at you, which I, I,
0: know it, yeah. I just
1: hate and I will never... use. That practice, but I think you know the value is getting insights in front of you. I mean, geez, I, our most recent hire I met through LinkedIn, which is just crazy to think. I met him, he interviewed me on his podcast, and all of a sudden there was alignment, and we we hired him and brought him on board. We've landed clients through LinkedIn, and we we only work with fifteen clients at a time, so it's not like we're some high volume of, of sales. Like we've started relationships that way. There's a lot of power there if you really figure out how to use it, and from an outbound perspective, it's super powerful too because what I've focused on doing is building a network of manufacturing executives and VPs of sales and marketing people, connecting with them and not trying to sell them something, but connecting with them. And then just every day, producing some insight that I can publish on LinkedIn. And as my network grows, more of those people see it. They start engaging and commenting. I comment on their things. And before you know it, there's there are real conversations happening there.
0: So, And that, that's what it's intended to do. Mm-hmm. It's just been kind of bastardized by certain people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. best advice I could give you on LinkedIn is just act like a real human being. Pretend you're in a room oh, boy, 100 yeah, people, no, right? No kidding. Like just, no kidding. You wouldn't go introduce your somebody and when they agree to say hello and shake your hand, you start selling them. It's like that's not how it works in real life. So just try to mimic real life in the social platforms.
0: I've said you know, uh, Mick Jagger saying life is like a cocktail party right? And (laughs) There you go. And really, social media is like a cocktail party. And in a cocktail party, if you meet someone, you don't immediately ask to go home with them, right? Or to marry them. You build a relationship with them. And social media has kind of knocked down some of those in Inhibitions that people have in real life. And some of that should come back. You know, you should be a bit more reserved, maybe right off the bat. But there are commonalities between two people. They will realize that and build a relationship. And like you just did, hire someone because of it. And that's the promise of all social media, not just LinkedIn.
1: I agree, well said.
0: So let's get back to content. Let's say that we started a webinar series. We're on a podcast, so let's talk about something slightly different say you start up a, a webinar series, do you surround that with other vehicles? Do you create an email newsletter to go along with it because you've got to promote it to your, your list? Do you send an update to people who attended or those who didn't? What do you create around something like that?
1: Yeah, I think in the simplest form, there are sort of two things you need to think about with content strategy. There is the creation of insightful assets and then there's the distribution of those assets. Mm -hmm. So I look at a podcast or... A webinar series, or you know, a series of you know videos where you've got two of your experts in a room and with professional camera on them, like I was kind of describing, what we're doing for a client of ours today. Whatever it is, or, or even real you know, content, you need to create assets that address those questions and pains and goals of your customers. We've talked about that. Distribution of that content is about getting all of those insights in front of as many of the right people from the right companies as you possibly can. And so LinkedIn, whether we're talking organically or using the paid platform or any other social channel for that matter, email, these are vehicles for distributing that content to the right people in a very targeted Mm -hmm. way. So that's kind of my short answer to that question.
0: What about frequency? I've worked with some clients and early on they'll say, well, we'd like to do a blog post every two months. Yeah. (laughs) Or, Or maybe we can start doing a podcast, but I think we should do it every month. It just doesn't seem frequent enough, does it?
1: No, I don't think so in general. Of course, like so many things, it depends that you can throw in front of it, but I think you need to be producing something consistently, or you just kind of get forgotten or you wind up in the background. You know, whatever it is, whether it's a deep written piece of content, a podcast episode, a webinar, I think, you know, at least every couple of weeks. For most companies, you've got to be producing some new insight to remain relevant. Yeah. And so for some companies, it might be daily. I mean, geez, you look at a guy like Gary Vee for any listeners or fans of him. I mean, he, he's, yeah. he spits out a hundred pieces of content a day in, in tons of different forms. That's kind of the extreme end. It's
0: almost too much that it's not yeah. valuable. That's the way I view that. I don't yeah. know whether I'm right. It's just my feeling that when you proverbial throws a lot of shit up against the wall and right. see what sticks. And I think that's kind of his philosophy. All of his content is positively oriented, right? So it's not, it's never a lecture, Mm -hmm. you know, but sometimes it's just overwhelming. It's like in the early days of Twitter, I used to follow Guy Kawasaki Mm -hmm. until it just overwhelmed me Mm -hmm. because he would tweet every 15 minutes. And I was like, okay, well, I don't need that much Guy Kawasaki in my life. (laughs) So
1: yeah, I think you got to find a balance and, and, you know, it just depends on who your audience is and you go, you want to be in their inbox or in front of them on social media or whatever the channel might be frequently enough to be relevant and to be to remain top of mind but you got to balance it with not not annoying them not being overbearing i suppose
0: yeah Yeah. So how can you enlist SMEs? It's it's one thing to say, okay, let's do a podcast for XYZ company that sells industrial uh, welding supplies or something, right? It's another thing to find the person who knows welding and is willing to give up a half an hour every week or two. How do you enlist them in the effort? Well, I did
1: a podcast episode for our show where I interviewed one of our senior copywriters, Toby Wall, a few weeks ago. And his answer to that was, uh, you buy them pizza. But um, <laughs> but his the episode was titled, I Need What's in Your Brain, Extracting Expert Knowledge for Content Marketing. And it really was about exactly what you're talking about, but also how to physically do it. And I think the best way to look at it is if you look inside your company and you can identify maybe a handful of people, or maybe it's just a few who are deep subject matter experts on the topics that you know your customers care about, and you can sp- spread out the work a little bit, right? So it yeah. might be, I think it helps to have a bit of a content calendar where you say, all right, every week we're going to publish something new. This person, you know, hey, we need you, whether it's an engineer, a product manager, a salesperson, somebody who understands and interfaces with your customer regularly and and really understands them. Can you get four of those people? And once a month, you need a, you've got a recurring 30-minute slot on the books to pick their brain on a specific topic and turn on the recorder or the camera. The other thing to do is go outside your company, kind of like you do here, Mark, with your, your podcast right there's there's a great book by a guy named james carberry who runs sweetfish media which is the the company that produces our podcast for us but he he wrote a great book last year called content based networking and it's all about in making content with your customers and prospects and starting conversations with the types of people that you want to do business with because it's not easy to for me as a a marketing guy to pick up the phone and call a ceo of a hundred million dollar manufacturing company and say hey you want to jump on the phone and talk to me for 30 minutes i've got lots of questions for you i mean it's not going to happen, right. right? I'm not never get past the receptionist. But when I say, hey, I want to interview you about this topic that is an area of expertise of yours because I saw you write about it on, uh, you know, manufacturing.net right. or something. They're thrilled to jump on and all of a sudden you're talking to them for 30 minutes and building a relationship and you're producing content that's valuable to both of you at the same time.
0: Yeah. Bit of a Trojan horse. Mm hmm. <laughs> not a bad one. No, I not don't a, think so. I mean, yeah. I don't
1: think in a bad way at all because the reality, you know, I my follow-up to that isn't a sales pitch. Right. I'm, I'm If I'm starting conversations with another manufacturing executive every week, then what happens is I, like we talked about earlier, I break those episodes up into the micro content. I promote them. Mm-hmm. I talk, you put the spotlight on them. You make it about them, not yourself. And it leads to referrals. It, some of them will naturally become customers. You just have to do it in a way that's genuine, authentic, and, and not follow it with a,
0: a sales pitch. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, I'm having you on here mm-hmm. and you're an interesting guy. You're helping me produce a hopefully a really good episode of Confessions of a Marketer, and I'm helping you get the word out on your business. It's a perfect kind of relationship.
1: Absolutely. Mutually beneficial for sure.
0: Yeah. I want to. A- talk about the current world. And I'm interested in, and I've asked this question of a lot of people, some on the podcast and some just in, in general, how has COVID-19 affected your business?
1: Yeah, it's been interesting. I feel very fortunate to say that we've done well. We've actually grown this year. And so with everybody out there who's struggled, you know, I feel very fortunate in that sense. And I'll attribute some of it to luck and some of it to you know, having built a niche where we create value. But one thing that I've seen that I think is worth noting is that my audience in manufacturing, they're heavily reliant on trade shows in their business development process, in-person events, getting on planes, flying across the country to see customers. And so they've had to figure out how to reinvent business development in a lot of ways. And I know that that extends well beyond the manufacturing sector. That's a lot of professional services and just B2B companies out there. And so when that's the case and you're trying to pivot and figure out how to digitize fast and look for different means to reach the right people and deliver the right message, well, the things that an agency like us can help them do becomes very valuable. And we've seen that to be true this year.
0: And it sounds to me like you're a really positive thinker, right? So you probably don't get dragged down by um, industry scuttlebutt that you probably just keep your I focused on the future.
1: Yeah, I think as much as you possibly can, you know, yeah. there's there the challenges all the time, of course. But yeah, I think in general, you, you got to just kind of keep charging
0: forward and stick to the things that you, you believe in, I guess. Yeah. Did you have any moment this past spring, like a lot of my colleagues, and in fact, I did, where you thought the world was ending in March and uh, it looked pretty bleak? Or were you pretty busy throughout the whole... Uh, thing
1: you know, it was kind of like we were just sort of waiting for <laughs> for everything yeah. to crash down, and kept waiting. And then at some point, we said, "All right, well, maybe we're going to be okay here." You know, I, I don't know if you're a, a fan of David Baker or uh, or Blair Ends and the yeah, oh, I've, I've had done. I've had
0: had them both on. Have you? Yeah.
1: Well, I yeah, I love I love those guys and everything they have to say as as advisors to agencies and you know David Baker was sort of talking about early on like there's gonna be probably a four to five month lag before you really know what the impact's gonna be on you as a, a marketing agency and so we we kind of always had that in the back of our minds. Well, if our clients are struggling now and it's March, it's probably gonna be late summer before we really know what kind of impact this has had. And we're staying afloat and there's there's new clients mm-hmm. coming on and stuff, so we'll keep my fingers crossed and and keep doing. Doing the stuff that we believe we should be doing.
0: Yeah. Good. Hey, this was this was great, Joe. Thanks so much for joining me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was my pleasure being on the show. All right, that does it for this week. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Reed Edwards, executive producer, writer, and host of Confessions of a Marketer. Shep Salau is my producer, helping put together the shows every week. Annalyn Timball is my assistant, and she helps with guest relations and getting everything scheduled just right. Thanks, Sheb and Annalyn. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. Stay healthy and see you next time. You stay home for the greater good. Secondhand smoke doesn't, it drifts through cracks in walls air vents and sink drains, spreading toxic chemicals that can damage lungs. Secondhand vape also puts your lungs at risk, even with the fruity smells. Protect yourself and the people around you from these secondhand dangers. Learn how at tobaccofreeca.com.